Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. I mean, you can test this if you don't believe me. Go to your bank and ask uh, for an appointment with a bank officer and tell him, you know, this debt that I carry is just too much for me. It's hampering my lifestyle. It just it's depressing. So I'm just not going to pay it back. Okay, (laughs) see how they handle that. People who lend money are quite touchy about these kinds of things. Uh, They keep very careful accounts. If you don't pay them back, you'll get a visit from a guy named Vito. (laughs) We have a phrase for people on the street who lend money and are determined to get it back. Uh, We have a phrase for them. It's an aquatic animal metaphor. (laughs) We call that person a lone shark, right? Not a lone bunny, not a lone bluebird or a pleasant little animal. I mean, he's a lone shark because the lone shark has one rule, and that is you owe, you pay. Now, Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, Forgive us our debts means forgive us, God, for the ways that we've sinned against you. Because you and I have sinned against God. We have a mountain of moral debt that we can't pay off. But we've also been sinned against. Everyone has. You haven't just been the perpetrator of sin. You've also been the victim of sin. You've been sinned against. You have some debtors. Someone you thought you could trust hurt you. Uh, They were jealous of you or said bad things about you. They twisted the truth about you. Someone in business deliberately cheated you, took advantage of you financially, and they didn't care that it would break your heart. Someone in your own family wounded you, a parent belittled you or neglected you or withheld affection when you needed it, a spouse left you or betrayed you, a friend attacked you. We've all been victims of sin. We all have debtors, which brings us to a critical crossroads. It's a spiritual crossroads. What are we going to do with the people who have sinned against us, our debtors? Let me ask you another question. How motivated are you to extend grace to your debtors, to the people who have sinned against you? You know, maybe the truth is for you, this is really not a big deal for you. Maybe the truth is, if you're really honest about it, extending grace to your debtors is pretty low on your list of things to do. I think of a church where at the core of this church, There were two very powerful women who did not get along with each other. They didn't like each other. Uh, They wanted to hurt each other, and they did. Without blinking, they would repeat bad things about each other and distort them to make it worse. This went on week after week and month after month and year after year. And they taught the two main Bible studies in that church. And anytime a new woman came to that church, they would be really friendly to them. But they were really trying to recruit that woman to get into their little group because women had to choose. I mean, if you were a woman at that church, you had to choose which group you would belong to, belong to which group you would be loyal to, to study the Bible, which teaches us to love our enemies and to forgive those who hurt us. And what's striking is not just that they didn't forgive each other, 
No one in that church expected them to. I mean, people would have been surprised if they did. They just got used to unforgiveness. And I just want to be very clear today about what Jesus teaches and what he thinks about this. I want to look today not just at a single phrase. I want to look at a single word. One word. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I think that's the one word that is probably the most sobering word in the Bible, that little word, as. Charles Williams wrote, no word in English carries a greater possibility of terror than the little word as in that clause. Because Jesus is making a correlation here between the way you and I treat our debtors and the way God Almighty will treat us. So you and I had better be real clear on precisely what Jesus means by that one word. So we're gonna look at a story Jesus told in Matthew 18 that's really a commentary on this one word. The context of this passage is uh, Peter, one of Jesus' followers, has a debtor. Uh, He's dealing with forgiveness with someone in the community and he asks Jesus a question about how many times he needs to forgive his debtor. And Jesus, as he often does, launches into a story. This is Matthew 18, starting at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. This is a story of a king who wanted to settle accounts, and one man owed him a very large debt. I want to talk about the size of this debt for a moment. Uh, This translation says that he owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Uh, The original language is 10,000 talents. A talent was worth about uh, 20 years of a day laborer's wages. Uh, He owed him 10,000 talents. I mean, that's 200,000 years worth of work. And what Jesus is doing with this figure is he's taking the highest number that people could comprehend and he's making it plural. It's like when we say things like uh, trillions of dollars or something like that. It's a number that's like way too high to calculate, kind of like the national debt. Uh, Now, already at this point in the story, several things would have been very clear to Jesus's listeners. The first striking fact would have been how would a servant come to possess so much wealth that he owed his king 10,000 talents. I mean, because kings in those days were not in the habit of giving national debt-sized loans to servants. And there's just one answer. The king in this story is a person of staggering generosity. I mean, there's no other way to account for this behavior. The king is extravagantly generous. And then there would have been a second very striking fact to the people listening to Jesus tell the story. What kind of servant would take so much money from a king, blow the whole thing, and make no provision for the day of reckoning? This servant is unbelievably foolish and selfish. Then there's a third striking fact for any of Jesus' listeners. Uh, The king of lavish provision is also the king of the settled account. He's going to settle accounts. He's committed to justice. 
This is not a story about getting off the hook because of vague booking, bookkeeping by a sloppy king. I mean, this is not the kind of king who would say at the end of the day, you know, you did the best that you could with what you had, we'll just let it go. Now, Matthew, the writer of this gospel, understood about settled accounts. Uh, this is a rare story in that it's only found in Matthew. None of the other gospels have it. And I think there's a reason why Matthew liked this story. Do you remember what Matthew's job was? He was a tax collector. I mean, tax collectors understood about settling accounts, right? Matthew knew what that was about. He had heard every lame excuse in the book. And so the time comes for the pronouncement of judgment and the king says, sell him. Sell his wife, sell his children, sell all that they have. This is not an unusual thing. Imprisonment for debt was very common in Jesus's day to pre prevent escape or to motivate relatives to pay. But here, this debt is unpayable. I mean, that means this man and his wife and his children would be sold from one generation to the next generation because they could never pay it off. End of sentence, next case. And this would all be no surprise to Jesus's listeners because they knew the rule. You owe, you pay. But then it gets interesting. Something happens in the mind of the servant. He's desperate. He has nothing to lose. And so he goes for broke. He throws up a Hail Mary. Look at verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, I want you to notice the exact request. Be patient with me and I will, I will pay back everything. Remember the size of the debt. I mean, this is the... Uh, the national debt. I mean, what are the odds that this unemployed servant would be able to pay back like a, a gross national product size debt? It's a joke. It's like promising to empty the San Francisco Bay with a teaspoon. I mean, it's just not going to happen. At best, it's an insult to the master's intelligence. More likely, I think this guy is still scamming. I mean, he's still trying to get off the hook. Whatever is going on in his head, this is the last ditch effort of a desperate guy. And all of Jesus' listeners know just what to expect. I mean, they know the rule. You owe, you pay. He's a just king. He's settling accounts. They're just waiting for the ax to fall. And then Jesus says in verse 27, the king is moved with compassion. He looked at this frightened, selfish, desperate fool, and he's moved with pity. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. He does two things. And in the, original, in, in the original text, he does them in this order. First, he releases the man, so no prison, saves his family, frees his children, gives him his home back, he's released. But then he goes way beyond that. He forgives the debt. Now, You've got to think about this for a moment, right? I mean, this is a mountain of debt. This is a huge sum of money. And it doesn't just disappear. Someone has to pay. Like someone has to take that loss, right? Who pays? The king pays. He's offering a whole new system of debt management. You owe, I'll pay. This is the economy of grace. The king says, I'll pay the unpayable debt. I'll take the hit. I'll suffer the loss. I'll take the whole price on myself so that you can go free. You owe, I'll pay. 
Imagine what happens when this man goes home and he sees his wife. I mean, she won't lose her home because of his foolishness. Uh, when he sees his kids, I mean, they're not going to spend their lives in prison. They're free. Uh, they'll get their lives back and they don't even have to pay the debt. It's all about grace. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because this is really a story about the human race. This is your story. This is my story. Jesus says there is a king. There is a God who is lavishly generous and painstakingly just. And human beings have accumulated a mountain of unpayable moral debt before him. You and I add to that debt all the time. Every time we're less than honest. Every time we fudge an expense account or tax return. Every time we're unloving with a five-year-old. Every time we should have... Uh, should not have made a cutting remark, but we did. Every time we should have spoken in love, but we didn't. Every time God gave us a gift and we were ungrateful. Every time we gossiped, every time uh, we uh, spoke selfishly, every racist joke, every sexually impure thought or action, every judgmental attitude, every day we add to this moral debt, this mountain of moral debt. And every human being is in the same boat, everyone. You know, I'm a pastor. I've devoted my whole life to spiritual growth. I mean, it took me about 30 seconds to come up with that whole list. You know why? Because my wife has done every one of those things. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna pay for that one. No, I'll, I'll just be real clear. That list is me. But one day, the king came to me and said, you owe, I'll pay. And one day, the king came to you right? Foolish you with a mountain of debt, however big it was. And that king said to you, you owe, I'll pay. Do you remember that day? Do you remember when the king said to you, live in my economy of grace? And it cost him the life of his son. It cost him the best that he had. And he paid it without hesitation. I owe everything to grace. You and I, we owe everything to grace. Well, that's kind of the first act of this story. And we'll talk about the second act in just a moment. As Matt was talking, I couldn't help but think that maybe you have never had someone say to you, you owe all pay. I'm not talking about a time you forgot your wallet at a restaurant or maybe we're behind a few months on your rent or your mortgage. Those are real debts. But I'm referring to the debt of sin you're carrying. And you've been feeling the weight of it pressing down on you. You've been resistant towards God, feeling like you're far beyond an economy of grace because of what you've done, things you've said, lies you've told, chapters of your life that have already been written. What I want you to hear today is that the king is moved with compassion toward you. God is moved with compassion for you and has spoken those words you owe all pay over you. The economy of grace cost God the life of his son, and he paid it without hesitation for you. Jesus gave his life without hesitation for you. Maybe today is the day to respond to the invitation of Jesus to, to be forgiven of your sin, the weight of the debt you're carrying, and find forgiveness and freedom in him. Let go of the guilt, shame, the anger or regret, bitterness or pride that you carry. 
and take hold of the unconditional forgiveness and grace of God. It's a decision between you and him, but here's what I would encourage you to do. Tell someone you've made that decision. Tell a family member, a friend, tell a coworker that you know is a follower of Jesus. Email me at scotthouse at blueoakschurch.org. Tell someone that you owe, but God has paid for you. One more thing. If you're making that decision, there's a next step I want to encourage you to take. We are having baptisms at our in-person service on May 22nd. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change, a public declaration that Jesus has changed your life. If you are making a decision to follow Jesus, take the next step and get baptized. You can email me or go to the latest news and scroll down to baptism to find out more information or sign up. Better yet, just show up for service time and location. Click on attend in person right on our homepage. All right, let's rejoin Matt as we continue with Jesus's story. All right, let's look at the second act of this story in Matthew 18. This is what we're told in verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Uh, This time he's the one who is owed the money. And that fellow servant says precisely the same words to him that he said to the king. Look at verse 29. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Now, Jesus' listeners would expect, surely he will do for this man what the king did for him. I mean, they were sure he would extend grace. They were sure because now this is one debtor talking to another debtor. I mean, in the first act, the story involved a servant and a king. I mean, they're not peers. That king could have sold that servant at any time, which would have been well within his rights. But for a forgiven debtor to receive grace from a king and then withhold grace from another debtor would have been unthinkable. Also, Jesus' listeners knew this man would show grace because this debt would have been easily payable. I mean, Jesus said this debt was a hundred silver coins. It was a hundred days of work for a day laborer. The second debtor was making an infinitely smaller request. And for this man to receive grace for a mountain of debt and withhold it for an ounce of debt would have been unthinkable. Jesus' listeners knew this man would show grace because his life had just been saved by grace. He was on the receiving end of the biggest grace operation in history, and they knew that he would be waiting to overflow with grace at the first opportunity. I mean, it would be like a tiny way of saying thank you to the king. Like in a tiny way, he could do for this man what the king had done for him. It would be an honor to forgive this debt. So imagine the shock of Jesus's listeners when in this man who was saved by grace, there is no compassion. There's not a tear of pity. Look at the second part of verse 28, when he comes to this man that owed him a hundred silver coins. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. He grabs him and begins to choke him. He's treating this man with violence and contempt. He wants to hurt his debtor. He wants to feel anger and resentment and bitterness. He doesn't forgive the debt. He doesn't even give the man time to pay it off. 
Not only does he not forgive, he doesn't even give the man time when the man could have paid it off. He throws him in prison where the man has no hope. He violates in every respect, I mean, spirit, tone, word, and deed, the king who showed him grace. And here's the deal. I wonder from the way Jesus told this story if this guy ever got grace at all. I mean, it's a a masterfully told story. And if you notice, this first servant never actually asked for grace in the first place. I mean, he asks for the works plan. Remember, he said to the king, I'll pay for everything. I can take care of the debt myself. I'm good for it. He never asked for grace. And when grace was given, there was no response, no expression of thanks, no brokenness, no desire to make right whatever he could. There's another man Jesus showed grace to named Zacchaeus. Do you remember him? When Zacchaeus received grace, his response was, I'll give back four times what I've cheated anyone and I'll give half of what I own away. And it was not to earn grace, it was to live in grace. See, I think from the way Jesus told the story, this guy was offered grace, but he never really got it. He just wanted to get off the hook. And I'll tell you, there is a world of difference between wanting to be forgiven and just wanting to get off the hook. When you want to be forgiven, you wanna rebuild that relationship. You wanna repent. You wanna set anything right that you can, not to earn it, but because that's part of reconciliation. There's a world of difference between wanting to be forgiven and just wanting to get off the hook. I think this guy just wanted to get off the hook. I don't think he was interested in grace or forgiveness at all. What's clear is he had no intention of giving grace. He was saved by the king's grace, but he wouldn't offer it. Now I wanna stop again for a moment of application here because I'm like this servant in this story. I know what it is to grab someone by the throat. I know what it is to want to hurt someone in my heart, to say hurtful things or to withdraw my love. I know just what words and actions will inflict the most pain on those I love. And I sometimes go ahead and say them. Even though this is someone who Jesus died for, I do it anyway. I grab people by the throat. I'm like the servant in the story because I'm just a forgiven debtor. And the debt between me and God is infinitely greater than what any person has done to sin against me. More than that, I'm like the servant in this story because I'm the biggest debtor I know. I don't know about any of your debts. I don't have access to your inner world, your secret hurts or private thoughts or hidden darkness. I only have that kind of access to one person, only me. I know my failures as a dad. I know my shortcomings as a husband and a pastor. I know the way that I'd like my character to be different. I know the ways that sin keeps me from being and doing what God wants. I'm the biggest debtor I know. And you know what? You're the biggest debtor you know. And in light of that, to withhold grace from some other poor debtor is just unthinkable. It's just unacceptable. This is what Jesus says in verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Now, why does Jesus say there were other servants and they were outraged? Remember, Matthew is writing this story not about someone outside grace. This is not about some pagan outsider. This is a story about someone saved by grace, someone whose debt was forgiven by grace. 
Remember in verse 23, we're told that this is a parable, parable about life in the kingdom of God. These are fellow servants of the kingdom. And when they see unforgiveness, a lack of grace by someone who is saved by grace, they're outraged. And so it is in the kingdom of God. Like whenever people see someone who claim to be in the kingdom of God, who claim to be a part of the community of grace, withhold grace and forgiveness from someone else, they ought to be outraged. So I'll ask you, when grace is withheld in our community, in our church, maybe in your family, when someone grabs someone else by the throat, do you get outraged? Do you talk to the king about it? Do you do everything in your power to make sure we live together in grace and forgiveness? Or do you just get used to gracelessness? Well, I'll tell you, it should be unacceptable. It should be unthinkable. The king's servants are outraged. And now we get to the final act. The servant is brought in one more time, but it's a different story this time around. In this interview, there are no tears, there are no pleadings, there are no bargains. This time the king says to the servant, you didn't get it at all, did you? I mean, it didn't penetrate. You have badly misunderstood me. You thought grace meant I was incompetent. You thought I would let you get away with whatever you wanted. You thought that because you were in with me, you could be the same old hurtful, self-centered, unforgiving person you were before. You were badly mistaken. You were shown forgiveness, but you won't give it. You were granted mercy, but you won't extend it to others. You were showered with love, but you won't love it all. You were offered the economy of grace and you've chosen the economy of vengeance. Have it your way. Look at this passage starting at verse 32. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then comes one of the most frightening verses in the Bible. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I don't know how Jesus could make it any clearer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And you've got some debtors. Maybe it's a mother or father. Maybe it's a brother or sister. Maybe it's a husband or wife. Maybe it's a former husband or wife. Maybe it's a former employer. Maybe it's a former pastor. Will you choose grace? I want to say a word about forgiving, about what it's not. To forgive someone does not mean to excuse or tolerate wrongdoing. It doesn't mean doing what the other person wants you to do. It doesn't mean putting up with that which is not to be put up with. Maybe you've experienced very deep wounds. You were abused maybe or betrayed. You know, forgiving does not mean allowing that behavior to go on or to uh, have it go unconfronted. It may not even mean to reconcile with someone. I mean, there is a difference between forgiving someone and reconciling with someone. If someone sins against you and refuses to acknowledge the truth and refuses to repent, you may not be able to reconcile. I mean, you can't build on a relationship unless there's a mutually shared understanding of truth and repentance where it's appropriate. 
Forgiving them means you give up the right to hurt them back and you wish them well before God. And you can do that. It may take a long time. You may need a lot of help, but it's the only way. Walter Wink writes about a couple, their names were Grossmeyer, and they were on a kind of peacemaking mission, mission uh, visiting some Polish Christians years after World War II. Uh, they were there as emissaries of another group, and they asked these Polish Christians, would you be willing to meet with some Christians from West Germany? Uh, they want to ask you for, for, for forgiveness for what Germany did during the war and begin a new relationship. Would you meet with them? And there was like this long silence. And then one of the Polish Christians said, what you ask is impossible. Like every stone of Warsaw is soaked with Polish blood, that they spilled. We cannot forgive. And then Gross, the Grossmeyers understood the emotion and they finally ended the conversation and they were getting ready to leave. But the Polish Christians decided to close the meeting by praying the Lord's Prayer, uh, this prayer that we're learning so much about these days. So they knelt down and they prayed as Christians have prayed in every country throughout every century for 2000 years now, these servants of the King. They prayed, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. They prayed until they got to these words, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And they just stopped and they couldn't pray anymore. There was just dead silence. And then they were outraged. And the one who said they couldn't forgive a few moments ago said, you know, I must say yes, because if I don't forgive, I can no longer say this prayer. I can no longer call myself a Christian if I don't forgive. Like humanly speaking, I can't do it, but God will give us the strength. And 18 months later, Polish Christians and West German Christians met in Vienna and established a friendship that lasts to this day. And you know, I wonder over the last 2000 years, how many marriages might have changed, how many friendships or families or churches might have been healed if when the Lord's prayer was prayed, we just stopped at that line and just let the Holy Spirit work. And I think maybe the Holy Spirit has some work to do in us today, if we just let him. And so I'm gonna ask that we do that. I'm just gonna say the Lord's Prayer, but I'm gonna stop at forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And I wanna ask you to do two things. First of all, remember the mountain of debt that God forgave you. And I mean, if you could remember the day that it happened, I mean, think about that day. Think about what it costs God. Think about your mountain. And then ask God to bring to your mind and to your heart any debtor with whom you have unfinished business. Ask God to bring to your spirit any hardness of heart inside of you, any lingering bitterness or animosity, any act of uh, or work of forgiveness or grace that hasn't happened in your soul. Ask God to bring to your heart and to your mind whatever he needs to, and then resolve before God that you're going to forgive. All right, I'm gonna say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I just urge you to let the Holy Spirit
speak to you. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And we hope to see you on Sunday soon.